Morning, my name's uh, Stuart. I'm uh, one of the church leaders uh, here, and if you don't know me, but um, this morning we're going to continue our series looking at um, 1 John. And my prayer is that this morning, that this will be part of our journey to rediscover our primary identity as Christians. Um, and maybe, I'm not kind of, I don't know everybody in this room, but maybe even it's for the first time for, for somebody in this place. It's, it's, redis- it's actually discovering who we are as Christians, as followers of Jesus. So we're looking at this um, book from John. Um, The writer is a guy called John, and John, who wrote this book in the Bible, and his brother James, were fishermen in the Sea of Galilee around when Jesus was around. And most Bible commentators are pretty sure that John thought himself as a failure. Um, In those days, the best of the best, um, um, particularly in guys, became rabbis. And rabbis are like spiritual leaders um, and teachers in the Jewish law. And it was something that every Jewish mother wanted for their son. Those who didn't make the cut had to find other employment, like catching fish. And James and John were fishermen. And you can read about this in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, about Jesus, who was seen as a rabbi. And he went to the Sea of Galilee and he pointed out John and his brother James and said, follow me. Come be part of my team. And this very act was probably the greatest affirmation that John ever had. It was a start of a new journey. As brothers, James and John also had a nickname, Sons of Thunder. Now, it's probably to do with having bad tempers. But on top of this, um, the Gospels also show us that John was also someone who was quite selfishly ambitious and excessively competitive. And I'm saying this because I want you to get this picture. Who is this person who's writing this letter of um, one John? Somebody who maybe kind of had the bedrock of feeling like a failure. Someone who is selfishly ambitious, excessively competitive. That's the background. And Jesus takes him on a journey. And a journey that takes him to different places of revelation. And we're going to see one of those revelations that John had in his life today. So we're going to read from 1 John to chapter 28. And it reads this. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know he if you know that he is righteous, you know, everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God's. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know him is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what he and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. 
No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not lead, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who are the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So John had spent three years as one of Jesus' closest disciples. He'd heard Jesus' profound teaching. He'd seen dozens of powerful miracles. He'd seen Jesus transfixed in glory. He'd witnessed Jesus alive from the dead and then stood transfixed as he ascended bodily to heaven. And as an old man, he's writing this letter. He's encouraging followers of Jesus in generation after generation after generation to see what the love the Father has lavished on us, that we could be called children of God. This is what we're going to hone in on today. In chapter 3, verse 1, Some translations don't use the word see, they use the word behold. I think this gives more depth, more what it really is about here, what Jordan is trying to communicate. Because beholding is an exclamation and a command. Behold what great love the Father has lavished on us. Beholding is an exclamation because it, it shows that the Father's great love should amaze us. But over time, if we're honest, do we lose that edge of amazement? We get to the point sometimes in life where it's, yeah, 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 God's great love for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's next? What's the next thing I want in my life for me, me? But the, the Father's great love for us is a kind of experience and reality that should grow stronger and stronger over the years till it dominates every part of our lives. There's an old hymn that has this awesome line, and Jerry will probably sing it. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Let's find ways to pursue always the wow of the Father's great love for us. That's what beholding is. That's what it means to see the Father's great love. But beholding is also a command. This shows us that the Father's great love should also instruct us. The command is stop everything else. Look at this. Think about it. Ponder the significance of it. Behold. The Father's great love. I think I've shared this before. Um, I'm a bit soppy about my kids, still. (laughs) Um, 
And 15 years ago, I'm glad they're not in the room because they'd roll their eyes at this. 15 years ago, um, when my daughter was little, um, I would give, I would do the late feeds. Um, and it was about half past 10, 11 at night. And I'd sit on the sofa with a bottle of milk. Um, and I would enjoy every moment of staring at her. I get quite emotional about that. It was a really special moment. Perhaps for me, it was a tiny glimpse of the father's love lavished on his children. Only a little tiny glimpse. I mean, obviously that whole illustration breaks down because then I'd wake up at 1.30 in the morning just about holding on to um, my daughter and um, milk would be all down the side of her face and I'd have a crick of my neck. But go with this. There was something I think that she was enjoying that embrace too. As she stared back, as she looked back. I even experienced this in a weird way this week. Dan, um, my 18-year-old, he's 18 now. That's bonkers, isn't it? Um, He went away for a few days with his mates and I didn't know he was back in Bristol. Um, But I went up to the Tesco Express for my lunch and walked out and saw him walking out of the kebab shop. (laughs) And instead of going, what are you doing? I actually got intensely emotional about that, of seeing him. He's only been away for two days with his kebab. (laughs) But there was something of that... um, realization of that deep love that I could that's the only way I can explain it but actually the father's great love for us lavished on us is way way more than that God as our father is unchangeable is constant consistent too and he longs for us to simply enjoy his presence and enjoy his response to us. He welcomes us to be his children, to say yes to his son, Jesus. And as we look at this further this morning, what it means to being children of God, I want to recognise that we do all have very experiential filters in our lives. Particularly when we talk about God as our father and how we live out as children. There may be 100% positive experiences, rarely. There may be 100% negative experiences, distorted, um, damaged views of what fatherhood is like. Some people think God is dictatorial, judgmental, a cosmic kind of politician, a policeman, out to get me. I even think sometimes as Christians we, we have that in our lives. We don't have this view of God as a father. But the God I believe in is a loving heavenly father. Jesus, God's son, taught his disciples to pray. And he said to pray to your father in heaven. That's the creator of the universe. The one that kind of built these galaxies with 300 billion stars in one galaxy and 100 billion galaxies. The one that created all that is our Father. The one that just made the stars also, as it says in Genesis. 
He's the one who designed us all. And when we enter into responding and accepting him, then we enter into being children of God. And that changes our lives. It's not an easy journey. It's definitely not consistent. We need to come to the place of an awareness that in every season of life, the Father's great love is lavished on us. As children of God, knowing our Father's, lavish, our Father's love is lavished on us, what does that mean? What does it mean to know the Father's love? And I just want to give three very quick glimpses in the Bible that give a little bit more depth to what love is. Because sometimes we say this at the front and you think, yeah, yeah, well, my experience of love is this, my experience of love is this. This is what God's father love is for us. His response to us is forgiveness with a big, big full stop. A big, it is finished. Jesus, when he was dying, prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's part of the great love that has been lavished on us. Our father's response to, to us as his children is embrace, delight, even party. There's a, an amazing uh, parable in Luke 15 where we read about the parable of the prodigal son. And in verse 21, in the message version, it says, When he was still long, the prodigal son was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out, embraced him, kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I don't deserve to be your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He called to his servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes, dress him, put the family ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Then get the grain-fed heifer and roast it. We are going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead, lost and now found. The father's response is embrace, delight and party. And the father's response as part of his love to us is freedom from sin. Freedom from the slavery of sin. In Romans six fifteen, it says about, um, so since we're at, out from under the old tyranny does that mean that we we cannot live any old way we want since we're free of the freedom of god can we do anything that comes to mind hardly you know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom offer yourselves to sin for instance and it's your last free act but offer yourselves to the way of god and freedom never quits all your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you started listening to a new master. One whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. Part of the Father's love to us is a freedom from the slavery of sin. So when we become a child of God, we become a changed person. Our Father is responding to us and changing us. We're given a new heart to enjoy God, to enjoy his presence and enjoy what doing good. As children, our response to God, as we behold him, 
is what it says in Galatians 4. God sent his spirit into our hearts and the spirit calls out, Abba, Father. We respond to him by saying, Daddy. As children of God, the Holy Spirit inside us is calling out, not just Lord, Creator, King, all that stuff, that's great, but actually saying, Abba, Daddy. It was a, an Aramaic word that in those times that children addressing their fathers in an intimate conversation at home, Daddy, it's affection, confidence, loyalty. Even Jesus used it about his relationship with his father, God. Abba, Father, everything for you is possible. He was saying that he trusted God's love with his life. That's what it means to be children of God. We can communicate with him like this. We've moved from just a God is out there, it's an authority thing, he's a distant deity. God has come close. I'm painting a picture because when we say, behold, see the Father's great love lavished for us, that's the kind of love, that's the kind of response. I remember once somebody sharing this little phrase that stuck with me for years. Beholding is becoming. That's where we need to get to. Beholding the Father's great love for us that will transform us. That we will become like Jesus. In verse 2 we read... um, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been known. But we know when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. So the background is no beholding the Father's great love, Responding to that, becoming children of God. And that beholding moves to a place of becoming like Jesus. As we understand our present position as children of God, our future hope is becoming more like Jesus. Becoming a Christian by saying yes to Jesus begins a lifelong journey. Whether you're saying that for the first time today, whether you said that 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. If we spend every day with Jesus as John did, if we worship him, listen, talk with him, go on adventures of faith with him, then the reality of this love will permeate in us. He will never reject us, never abandon us, never ever stop loving us that changes everything I want to be honest with you that sometimes I don't get that I actually feel a failure I've felt that a little bit over the last few weeks to be honest 
this can be what I feel. I, I say things, what I've done or not done, what's spoken over me or spoken over myself. The rest of this passage kind of connects into that. We read about sin. We've been talking about that over the last couple of weeks, about wrestling with sin in our lives. Yet the Father is continually lavishing his love over us. John's not particularly in the rest of this passage talking about specific sin, but a direction in our lives. We can feel like we're failing, so we, what do we do? We either just give up, pack the bags, get on to something else. Or we stand there and we say, God, lavish your love upon me. I need to keep coming back to you. Here's a slightly random picture. That's always random, it's coming from me. Um, for your head, that might explain how John is challenging his readers to live, to be serious about living like Jesus. So if you have a pig and a sheep, and they're kind of going on a walk together. <laughs> I can't imagine this. I told you it's random. And they, they, they both fall into the same muddy hole. But there is a difference. The pig will love it and wallow in it. Because that's its nature. But the sheep wants to get out. And avoid that muddy, muddy hole next time. Because it is a different nature. As children of God, with God's seed in us, that's described in these verses, you cannot wallow in the mud. You're not a pig, you're a sheep. If you can't go over with anything else today, just think, oh, I'm not a pig, I'm a sheep. <laughs> if you like it in the mud, though, and you don't want to get out of the mud, then maybe you need to have a chat with God and say, actually, God... I want to understand what it means to be a child of God. You're going to have to do some stuff because I'm enjoying the mud. Being a child of God is about living like Jesus. It's not a rule thing. But as a child with a perfect father who wants us to fly and be the best that he's designed each one of us uniquely to be. He wants us to be a little bit more sheep-like. And I want to encourage you that as I've spoken today and even mentioned that word failure, inside you, if that's kind of going, yeah, that's me. I'm feeling that today. That the context of being a child of God is God wants to restore you to the image of himself in you and how he sees you. It's not proving I've got to do something to prove, God, that you want to love me more. It's not doing any of that. It's just going, God, will you come? I'm coming back to you. I'm returning to you. Right throughout the Bible, it's one of the best bits. It talks about returning to God. Individually or through God's people, always return to me, return to me, return to me. And I want to lavish my love upon you. Before I finish, I want to share a short testimony of a guy who spoke here five years ago. Um, it was a guy called Shane Taylor. He spoke in tracky bottoms and um, 
um, tracky top, and he was a guy. This is his story in a very quick glimpse. Shane Taylor started to burgle houses at a very young age and steal cars. He stabbed people, sold drugs, was on the run for kidnapping and attempted murder, and was classed as one of Britain's most dangerous people. Shane eventually got caught and was put in prison, but his incarceration did little to stem his rebellion. His hatred of authority saw him stab two prison officers with broken glass after he wasn't allowed to use the prison gym, and it sparked a riot. His out-of-control behaviour quickly saw him transferred to a high-security prison. Then he met a guy called Robert Bull, who had been in prison for murder, but had since become a Christian. He was saying a load of things that sounded mad to me, said Shane. But the one thing that stuck in my mind was that when he said, I've been in prison for 15 years and I'm probably never getting out, but I'm free. I used to think, what is he on about? Shane felt an urge to start writing to Robert and began reading the Bible that was in his cell. He was then moved to another prison when a minister invited him on Alpha. Yeah, put my name down, he said. He was mostly interested in chocolate biscuits and having debates. But halfway through that Alpha course, on the Alpha day, wasn't a day away, by the way. It was a day in still. Um, that would have a whole different concept, wouldn't it, in a prison. Um, Shane experienced the presence of God for the first time. I said, Jesus Christ... This is Shane speaking. Jesus Christ, I know you died on a cross for me. Please, I don't like who I am. Please forgive me. I started to feel tears coming out my eyes. I tried to hold it back, but it rose up until suddenly I began crying my eyes out. I hadn't cried in years. I cried for five minutes. I felt a weight being lifted off me. Shane remembers. In a split second, I knew it was real. I knew God existed. I knew Jesus had touched me and that I was going to live with him forever. I became a child of God. I'm not saying that testimony to go, oh, wow, that's a big story. But I'm saying that God can reach each one of us. Every single one of us, wherever we've been, wherever we've done, whatever we thought, whatever sense of failure we've put on ourselves or been put on us. You can, re you can listen to that incredible story. It's on YouTube. Just search his, his name. He's living proof of the freedom that it comes with being a child of God. If we follow Jesus, we move forward with an assurance that we are a child of God. Beholding is becoming. Our Father responds to us and we can respond to him.